Howdy, y'all. Welcome to Family with Family, a mindful discussion of wholesome fare. My name is Jackson Harper, and joining me, as always, for this discussion is my mother, Patricia Ann Stover Harper. Greetings and salutations. <laughs> How was your day? It was, it was good. I was able to stay home. I didn't work today. I did chores. <laughs> chores. That's work. <laughs> well, it's when like you're you glad that you're it. still able to do it, no, I, don't get paid. I didn't make any money today. Although a client <laughs> called and I did talk for 20 minutes, but I didn't charge um, Well, we have a guest tonight. Uh, our guest is the other half of the Fear of God podcast. We've had Nathan on here, but uh, tonight we have the real mastermind of the Fear of God. Uh, he's a movie <laughs> critic. He is a screenwriter. Uh, and just an all-around nice guy, Ronald Reed Lackey Jr. Oh, man, thank you so much for that wonderful introduction. I appreciate that. It's very good to be here. It's really nice to have you. I, we had a lot thank of fun you. with Nathan, so I think we're going to have a good time awesome. with this movie tonight. Well, Mom, why don't you tell our listeners what movie we're talking about? Today, we're talking about the 1959 American Fantasy by Walt Disney called Darby O'Gill and the Little People. Darby and his daughter Katie live in the gatehouse of Lord Fitzpatrick's Manor in Ireland. Darby's the caretaker and uh, Lord Fitzpatrick has decided to retire Darby on half pay and Mm -hmm. bring in Michael to come and be the new caretaker, uh, which is news to Darby. Darby is continually telling stories in the pub and not doing his work about catching Brian Connors, the king of the leprechauns. All right. Cool story. Well, let's get into our first segment then. Well, actually, you know what? Before we do the first segment, let's go around and uh, just talk about kind of our history with this movie. Uh, Hmm. Reed, you're our guest. I'm going to start with you. Okay. The only memory that I have is that I watched this film when I was a child. I had no memory of the film. So I might have been Mm. quite young when I first saw the movie. Um, What's interesting is I remembered that I had seen it. I remembered, you know how uh, when you're really young, you'll get, uh, I call them picture memories versus movie memories. There's memories where there's Mm -hmm. just an image in your head versus memories of where there's some fluid motion and you can remember being in a place or doing a thing. Well, I had picture memories of some of the shots from this film when I was rewatching it for this almost uh, felt like a first time watch because Mm. I remembered so little about it. I only remembered that I had seen it when I was much younger, Uh, didn't remember the plot, didn't remember any of the specifics other than that Sean Connery was in it, found it interesting which we can get into this a little bit later, but I found Sean Connery's presence in it interesting because he was one of the things that I remembered about it. Yet mm-hmm. in this film, his role is not as pronounced as so many of the other characters. He's he's there. Uh, and of course, we'll yeah. get into all of that. But uh, but I found that interesting because he was one of the main things I remembered about the movie. So to find that his role was not quite as prominent as my memory was deceiving me to think it was, was interesting. <laughs> So I kind of yeah. treated this viewing as a first viewing is, is basically okay. how it was. Well, nice. Um, normally when we have guests on here, they say we want to talk about this movie and we talk about mm. one that they approach us with, but 
with you, I, I brought Reed on here for a very specific reason, which we will get into later. <laughs> <laughs> but I basically approached Reed and was like, I want you to come on and talk about this movie. So, yeah, not realizing that he didn't have a long history with it like I did. Mom, what's your history with Darby O'Gill? Well, I remember seeing it when you were a kid. Now, this movie, I was six years old when this movie was made, okay? Mm. Mm -hmm. But I grew up in a very poor family. We never really got to go to the movies. So I didn't see it when I was a child. Um, Mm -hmm. Sadly, I remember going to the movies a couple of times when I was a child. One was to go see The Longest Day at the drive-in. And one was to go (laughs) to the theater to see The Fly. My daddy took me to see the fly. <laughs> the, Vin- the Vincent Price, the fly? That's amazing. Yes. Wow. But I didn't get to see Darby. Oh, That's amazing. Oh, I love the old fly. You should do, so you should do a, a Fear of God episode and bring her on there to talk about the fly. <laughs> to talk about the fly. We I might was do damaged that. as a child. <laughs> no, fly. Uh, but I... I remember the kids watching it when they were young, but I didn't really get a kick out of it until I started watching it for this. I mean, I knew Sean Connery was in it, but um, when you watch a movie several times, critically, it really can get under your skin. So (laughs) that's my history. I'm sticking by it. Yeah. Well, for my part, like this was one of those movies I used to watch all the time when I was a kid. I loved this movie. I still love it. Most likely. Yeah, I would watch it. It was just one of the, we had it on VHS and I would just, that was just one of my go-tos to put on at any given time. I'd be like, let's watch Darby O'Gill again. Okay. I don't remember when I first saw it. Dad probably showed it to me. Most Um, likely because he probably did see it when he was a kid. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I had, I haven't really talked to him about it, but yeah, I, I've always loved uh, Irish things, Scottish things, anything Celtic, really. I'm into it. I love the way they talk. I love like all their expressions, the music, this lovely, lovely culture, I think. So I always enjoy it. And of course, so does dad. I mean, dad's favorite movie is the quiet man. Another, uh, Mm you know like irish, irish village yeah kind of movie. yeah sure so so yeah i've just always been taken with with irish stuff <laughs> this film is so very irish oh so irish and yet incredibly entirely in california yes <laughs> <laughs> they do a bang oh, up man. job of making it look like a little irish town it's it's true they do so they do all right well, uh, does anybody else have anything to say before we get into our next Just segment? One thing, when, when Jackson told me that the movie was shot in California, which I did not know, I had to go on Wikipedia and see if there were actually any mountains in Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> There's a 3,000-foot uh, mountain in Ireland. Well, yeah. Oh. What's it called? Not Meshuga is an actual real oh, is it? Okay. in Ireland. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if there is any leprechauns that live there, but it's a real mountain. <laughs> oh, there have to be. <laughs> anyway, so our first official segment on this show is called Character Counts, wherein mm. mom lists off all the characters like we're reading the playbill. Ah, so nice. take it away. 
a little different about this. I had to look up where all the actors were born. I just wanted to know if they were really mm-hmm. Irish. So Darby mm-hmm. is played by Albert Sharp. He's Irish. Mm-hmm. Katie <laughs> is played by Janet Munro. She's English. And sadly, mm-hmm. she died at a very young age. She died very young, yeah. 38. She was one of my yeah. first 38. crushes when I was a kid. <laughs> she's so pretty. She's, so uh, pretty. she's very crushable. She is. Sean Connery. I, yeah, I didn't look up where he was born, but I'm pretty sure he's born in Scotland. He's from Scotland. That accent's yeah, a getaway. Yeah. So uh, yeah. plays Michael McBride and Jimmy O'Day plays King Brian. He's Irish. <laughs> Kieran Moore is Irish. He plays hmm. Pony Sugru. And Sheila Sugru is played by Estelle Winwood. She is English. And Lord Fitzpatrick is played by Walter Fitzgerald. And he's English. And Father Murphy is played by Dennis O'Day. And he is Irish. I thought it was really cool. <laughs> they got all these Irish people to play in the Irish movie. That was mm-hmm. really cool. So, yeah. There's other actors too, but that's the main characters. Yeah, those are the main ones. So we get to play the game of who's your favorite character. Uh, oh, once Reed, I'm going to go with you first. <laughs> um. This one was a tough one for me between two. I'm only going to name one, but I forced myself to choose between two characters who really vied for my affections and attention in this film. I'm actually going to go my favorite character. I'm going to give it to King Brian. I think King Brian has such a wily little uh, sense of humor and mm-hmm. what I what what ultimately made him win out for me at the top is even though he is a dastardly little trickster in Mm -hmm. most of the film and uh, is often kind of put upon (laughs) some of it by his own uh, demise and, and just not really paying attention to his surroundings uh, near the end of the film, which I'm sure we'll get into. He displays a remarkable heart uh, and a remarkable Mm -hmm. little sort of notation that, that endeared him to me tremendously, especially given uh, the reputation of leprechauns to be wily tricksters and mm-hmm. uh, so, something often viewed as nefarious or even dangerous in many other film representations and even in folklorish uh, representations. But uh, mm-hmm. King Brian, with his choices at the end of the film, displayed such a uh, such a benevolence that I was just like, ah, oh, okay, all right. I think King Brian's King Brian's my favorite. So yeah. that's that's where I landed on this. Okay, mom. I almost chose King Brian, but at the end, <laughs> we all know who I had to choose. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just had to choose Darby. Yeah. Darby's my favorite. I love I mean, it's Darby. A, it's a joke on this podcast that her favorite character is always the main character. <laughs> it's just, you know, I get it. They don't give Oscars for movies like this. I don't no. know why but he should have gotten one. Albert Sharp's performance, and apparently he had mostly retired at that point. Like he was a well-known stage actor in Ireland and Walt Disney basically convinced him to come out of retirement to play this character. And of -hmm. course, when you get a character like that, you you can't refuse it. Right. It's just, yeah. Yeah. He has so much opportunity to chew the scenery in this film. He's got, Mm -hmm. this, this is the kind of role that an actor would relish because you get to play a variety of different emotions. You get to play a wide range of choices. 
Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's I, I can understand why it would be appealing to come back for a meaty part like this, um, even if you were retired. I think that's interesting. Those yeah. facial expressions and the way he delivers his one-liners. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to get into the scene in the barn, which was one of my scenes, but I, I deferred that yeah. choice. Because I knew you would probably want it, and I didn't. Zach <laughs> was going well, to get us to do three it. scenes. I called him up, or Jackson was going to get us to do three scenes, and I called. I said, "I think we need to just do two because he and I had picked all the best scenes already." <laughs> was it fair? Yeah, the the number of scenes we pick in our next segment it it tends to fluctuate depending on the movie because sometimes sure. you get a movie it's like I can't just pick. Like we did Sister Act and we picked four scenes each because it's just like, oh man, there were so many great scenes to pick from. Yeah. So I mean, with Sister uh, Act, you just go the whole movie. movie either. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) True. So, um, Mike, my favorite character, I mean, it would have come down to either Darby or King Brian. So I'm going to, I really, and we talked about Janet Monroe a little bit. I really love Katie. She's so endearing. I mean, just the way she's she's very doting on her father. She's very protective of him. When mm-hmm. she feels like people are laughing at him because he tells all these crazy stories about leprechauns. Uh, there's one moment early in the movie, and we won't get into the full scene, but uh, when Michael first comes over to the house and he's going to have dinner with them, and I can't remember exactly what he says, Something about how, you know, the leprechauns, they're bold little folk or something. And Katie, she's being very friendly towards Michael. And then in that moment, she feels like maybe this guy is making fun of my dad. Mm -hmm. And she Mm -hmm. just like, her face completely changes. She's like, supper's ready. You know? (laughs) I love that. I love that. Yeah. So, and and yeah, she's just, she's just delightful. She's very charming. So yeah, I'm going to go with Katie. (laughs) Interesting little note. Pat, you'd mentioned that they don't give out uh, Oscars for movies like this, and that is sadly quite true. However, I'm I I may need to to double check this, but I believe I read that they did give out a Golden Globe for specifically Janet Monroe uh, yes. as Katie as a, as that. best newcomer, which that which is a Golden okay. Globe award that they've largely retired. Yeah, um, I don't yeah. think they really give that award out anymore, but. In the day, so. they they used to give that out for just a performance of somebody that we're like, oh, we think this person has it. And so be mm-hmm. on the lookout for this person. And while they still had that award, Janet Monroe received it for her role as Katie in this film, which I thought that was interesting. It's completely understandable. She, yeah, because oh. I don't know if this is her first movie, but it might be. I know she had done some like television, maybe. I can't remember. I was looking it That's up possible. earlier. But I, I looked remember. it up earlier, but I... She didn't do that many movies. Um, no, she didn't. She didn't get a chance to. Yeah, yeah. As so. as you mentioned, she had she had died very young. I do believe she had done smaller parts in films before where she was not okay. the lead. I think you are correct in that this is the first film she was in that was a very where she played a very prominent role where she's mm-hmm. she's definitely un- unquestionably a main character. I think prior to this, she had only been smaller supporting roles uh i could be yeah. wrong about that because i haven't seen some of these films but that's what it looks like yeah and i had ironic I seen... oh sorry 
Oh, uh, I was just saying, I, I really haven't seen her in much else. Uh, I mean, obviously she had a very short career, but the only other thing I can think of that I've seen her in is Swiss Family Robbins. She's got a pretty mm-hmm. prominent role in that. Yep. So what, what were you about to say, Mom? I was just going to say it's kind of ironic that Sean Connery's a minor character in here, and he, and he wasn't right. any of our favorite. Yeah, and he became <laughs> the most yeah, famous the person in the whole movie. Star in the whole movie, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, his, maybe... His seventh movie, I looked it up. Yeah, and maybe it's worth noting in the, in the character counts segment that, honestly... I mean, Sean Connery is fine in this. He, he's fine. He does nothing yeah. wrong. But the character, it surprised me that the character was as flat as he is. I mean, he's a very one-note character. He is practically set dressing, particularly yeah. in contrast to the exuberance of personality that Darby and King Brian display, or that mm-hmm. even most of the rest of the townspeople display in their one or two lines right. here or oh, there. The- Town is um, full of like characters. They're great. Yes, very much so. <laughs> but that yeah, was ahead, the Pat. whole point about Sean Connery or Michael McBride is that he's mm. a temperate man. That's mm-hmm. true. That is that is worth noting. <laughs> he's just in noting. character. <laughs> you know, sure. he's just a temperate <laughs> man. Yeah, if he had been anything else until the until that last scene, if he had been anything else, he would have been out of character because they (laughs) yeah Uh, but that's what i found interesting when i said that he's what i remembered most about it because now having seen it and it being much more fresh in my memory i was like he i mean this this is not a ding against his performance like i said he's fine in it um but Mm -hmm. he's one of the least interesting things about this movie to me when i walk away from a fresh viewing uh it's just like yeah he's to, to your point pat he's just a temperate man meant to be the heir of Darby's job and the, you know, eventual uh, courtier of um, Katie. And that's really the only role that he's there and, and to put the bully in his place. That's really all yeah. he's there to do. And uh, I do find that really interesting, especially because like we've said, Sean Connery would go on to have such a, a pronounced career, un- unquestionably mm-hmm. the most famous member of this cast. You almost sure. chuckle yeah. at it. I mean, from the hindsight, it's just kind of Mm -hmm. funny. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And we didn't really talk about them. We might as well mention um, Pony and his mother, Sheila. Oh, man. If there's a villain in the movie, it's them. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. And of course, Michael is meant to be as like a foil to them. And but they're much more colorful, of course. Sure. (laughs) Sure. They're awful. They're just awful. The. Sheila Estelle Winwood is the actor, a very, very prolific character actor from television mm-hmm. in the fifties and sixties. I think her career goes all the way back even into the into the thirties. She chews the scenery like it's a juicy steak. She she does <laughs> such a great job of just like gobbling up the environment around her. You you know mm-hmm. she's just one of those. She brings such an automatic. Uh, scheming kind of vibe to this little town. She's so perfect in this particular role because she's plotting and planning for her son to take over and to be the big man uh, in town. And I think mm-hmm. she delivers that kind of role so effortlessly. She's wonderful. I, yeah. I love her. Yeah, she's yeah. great. All right. Well, I guess we can get into our next segment then, which oh. is called Scene Selections. 
<laughs> wherein we each pick a couple of scenes like we're skipping around on the DVD just to, to highlight and, you know, talk about what makes this movie so good. So I think we're going to go, we're, we try to keep it as chronological as possible. So mom, I think you have the first scene. Yes. And before I get to the first scene, I just have to make a remark about the credits where Walt Disney thanked King Brian and the leprechauns <laughs> of Nakashiga for their cooperation <laughs> that made the film possible. Yeah. <laughs> just cracked me up because it, you're always wondering if, if it's a fantasy or is there a fantasy within the fantasy where the leprechauns really aren't real, you know, or are the leprechauns really supposed to be real and of course we'll talk more about that but mm -hmm. I, that was just that just cracked me up okay so my first favorite scene was the very opening scene where widow Sheila Segru has come to the gatehouse to borrow tea but she hasn't really <laughs> come to the gatehouse to borrow tea she makes a regular trip to the gatehouse to put in a plug for pony yeah because really truly sheila wants to live in the gatehouse yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's really all about her but um it it just tickles me how she's in there talking about how katie needs to get married and that darby needs to retire you know and mm -hmm. the way she slinks around opening cabinets and yeah um, it just, it's just hysterical. She's the consummate mother. <laughs> <laughs> and then Lord Fitzpatrick shows up with Michael in this mm -hmm. really tall carriage. That's really funny. Is that typical? That carriage was so tall. They had to, Katie had to look way up to see, <laughs> which he's uh, way up high lofty. I think that's a, mm -hmm. a metaphor. Michael's first view of Katie, you can tell he's already drawn to her. Mm -hmm. And Katie starts making excuses when Lord F starts asking for um, Darby. She starts making excuses and is just impressed that he is just off getting his, is it his sickle, scythe, sickle, sharpened. Scythe. Scythe. Yeah, so his scythe. Cut the grass at the summer house. But Lord F is, he is not fooled one bit. He knows exactly where Darby is down at the pub telling stories about King Brian. And then the end of that scene is so funny when he tells Michael, you know, that he's brought him here to replace Darby and that Darby retired five years before, but forgot to tell Lord Fitzpatrick. <laughs> he failed yeah. to tell me. And that whole scene, it just sets up the character of Darby and what the movie's going to be about. I just yeah. loved it. That's all. Well, Reed, is there anything about that scene that you want to talk about? Uh, I want to yes and uh, what Pat said about how well that scene sets up Darby. Um, mm -hmm. I think with the way his, what would ostensibly be his boss, with the way his boss speaks about him, the leeway and the grace his boss already gives him, you know, before you ever really get to know Darby, this is clearly a man that people can't help but love. Even whatever mm -hmm. else he may have going on in his lack of responsibility or his quirkiness or whatever, 
This is a mm-hmm. person that people can't help but love. And I think that was that was a genuinely very smart way to introduce him, but to show that like, oh, well, <laughs> he he kind of uh, needs some coverage from his daughter because he's not doing his job and he's down at the yeah. pub. But even so, <laughs> when his boss shows up, his boss is there to basically retire him with a pretty you know decent sized little living that he still gets to live on and uh and is is and still so very, yeah and a house um yeah and 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 as he even says he says for the rest of your days you know like it's it's yeah immediately because again i didn't remember much about this film as i was going in so that moment immediately communicated to me i was like okay Dar- darby's Darby's good people. Darby's somebody that mm-hmm. you would not do that for somebody that you that was not easy to love, especially not in a position of like employment hierarchy. So yeah, that's uh, that's the only mm-hmm. thing I wanted to mention about that. Yeah. So chronologically, my next scene, I'm actually going to skip it, and I'm going to save it for my second scene. Okay. Because I I'm going to skip straight to the fox chase, and then we'll talk about my other scene uh, in conjunction with another moment later. Uh, in the conversation. So this is a little bit ahead. Darby has gone up on the top of Nakanashiga at nighttime to collect his horse. And the horse is standing near a well. And uh, then it turns, it gets really weird for a second there. Mm -hmm. Like the horse gets riled up and it's like, you know, what do you call it when a horse like raises up on its back feet? I don't know. Is there a word for that? <laughs> I think it's called rears. Like it rears up. Rears. That, yeah. yeah, that sounds yeah. right. So the horse is rearing at him and uh, Darby gets startled and falls back and falls down a well <laughs> mm. in a very weird, creepy shot where you see him going down the well and he's like spinning around. And Oh, yeah. Um, but he has fallen down into the lair of the leprechauns. Uh, underneath the mountain and this is where you start to really get some really incredible visual effects in this movie Mm -hmm. like i don't even know how they did some of this stuff i know there's a lot of like split diopter shots and there's there's forced perspective but it's all done so very seamlessly Mm -hmm. like you absolutely believe what you're seeing and that he's surrounded by these little people so he gets knocked unconscious from the fall and uh, these two little leprechauns come in and they wake him up by jumping on his belly and uh, they lead him into the, you know, the hall of the king where all all the little people are dancing around and drinking wine and having just a grand old time. And uh, it's revealed that they've brought Darby there. They want him to stay there with them for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. And come they hither. come hither. Yeah. yeah, they put the come hither on him. That's what they call it in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, obviously he doesn't want to stay there. He loves the little people, but he can't stay there. He's got his daughter to think about, but they give him a pretty good sales pitch. It's like, you know, you're about to lose your job. Just come down here and stay with us and you'll do nothing but have fun for the rest of your life. Just dancing and diversion and everything. And uh, he starts grilling king brian about this he's like who is it that uh who tells the women where to throw their wash water when you people are walking around invisible and uh who gets all the men to tip their hat at every swirl of dust and who tells all the stories about you you do darby you do darby Uh, (laughs) it's like i can't stay here so darby starts to get a plan in his head it's like just let me okay i'll stay with you 
just let me go home and get my pipe and my fiddle. <laughs> and they're like, well, no, we have a fiddle. <laughs> they bring out this Stradivarius violin <laughs> that they got from like the king of the Italian fairies or something, because they got all this treasure and stuff, big chest of jewels and, you know, this big Irish throne. And so he starts saying like, me old grandpa Podge, I think is his name. He brings up Podge a couple of times. This is, says there are three things that the little people love dancing whiskey and the hunt so he starts to play a tune called the fox chase and it's a great tune you know it's just got that great irish fiddle thing going on and all the leprechauns get excited and he starts playing faster and faster and they're dancing around and then one of them brings out this horn to King Brian and King Brian blows the horn. And then they bring out all these little horses and they're riding around in a circle. <laughs> and you can tell Darby knew what was gonna happen once he got them all excited because then the mountain opens up and it's this gateway to the outside and they all go off chasing this fox that doesn't even exist. <laughs> it's just, they've got it in their head that they're gonna go chase a fox now. And of course, Darby, he knows this is his chance to escape, but first, what does he do? He goes to the chest full of jewels and he gets a whole bunch of them and sticks them in his pocket. And now he's got to run because the mountain's closing back up on him. Of course, there's a hole in his pocket. So all the jewels come just pouring out as he goes. He gets out just in time to not get crushed by the, the mountain and uh, finds that all the jewels are gone and then just has to go back home. And I just like it because you get a real view of as, as much of a trickster as King Brian and the leprechauns are, Darby's wise to it. And he knows how to play their own game with them. Either of y'all have anything to say about well, this scene? He doesn't actually go home. He goes to the barn. Well, yeah, but that's at his home. <laughs> it is, but this is where the plan goes into. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I think and that's uh, your scene, so I'm not going to say anything else. I, it, that was my favorite scene in the whole movie. But we can know. share yeah. that scene. We can share that scene because I, <laughs> I will say I, I'm, I'm fairly certain that scene is next. The only thing I will say about the your note about the fox chase moment is Darby may as well in spirit, attitude, mindset, and and heart might as well be a leprechaun. He's one of mm -hmm. these people. Like. Yeah. I think that's I think that's why he has such an affinity with them and why they initially put the come hither on him, uh, you know, and, and why he's able to match wits with King Brian is because he's basically a a large little person. Like, that's basically yeah. what he is. And they want him there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He is of their he is of their spirit. Yeah. He is of like kind. Yeah, yeah it's absolutely. So, it's so charming. Yeah. So, so I'm presuming, Jackson. I don't want to. I want to take your your uh, MC skills from. But I'm presuming that art that my scene is next. One of my scenes is next. Um, yes. I want to share this scene with Pat because uh, she deferred and let me pick this as as one of my favorite scenes. But I know it's it is it is sincerely like a centerpiece of the film. After mm -hmm. he escapes the mountain from the scene that you just described, he makes it back to the barn. Uh, but King Brian follows him there. And 
when he's there, he begins to play a drinking game with King Brian. The drinking game is very simple. It's just a, a simple rhyming scheme. Like who can come up with the most <laughs> clever, the most inventive, the most heartful rhyme. And they proceed to throw back drinks and make each other laugh in the most joyful, exuberant laughter from either of them that you can imagine. Uh, they continue to make each other laugh with these back and forth rhymes. And um, Pat, I'm actually going to pass you the baton, uh, but there's a particular reason why Darby is doing this with King Brian. I'll, I'll let you share that. Moment. He is going to capture King Brian. That's right. He's going to capture him, and that's the whole point. And really, King Brian is the only one who's drinking. Yeah, Darby, Darby is pouring oh, right. his back and into the jug. He's drinking. Yeah. He pours his back in the jug. <laughs> he he has told his horse that if he can just keep him going till daylight, he's got him. That's right. Yeah. Because in sunrise, uh, King Brian's powers are are moot. He Correct. is not able to to escape. And I think again to the to the point that that we've just all spoken about, like Darby has the mindset to match spirit for spirit with these people, and so as a result, he's able to lull King Brian both through liquid assistance and also just through <laughs> spirit of playful interaction is able to mm -hmm. lull him in this place where the look on King Brian's face when he realizes, oh no, the the sun has risen, <laughs> he still tries to like leap through the door um it's it's very charming but yeah it's it, it's it's a really delightful scene and it's the kind of scene that in other lesser uh, or, or less generous of spirit films uh might be suspenseful or nefarious or tense but in this even though we know kind of what is happening it's it's just so joyful to see them play to see darby get the upper hand it's just such a joyful scene, and 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 I loved it. It stood out. It was one of the centerpieces of the film. The other mm -hmm. part that I love about that scene is the horse. <laughs> <laughs> the horse is reacting to what's going on and finally gets bored to death and lies down to go to sleep. So funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's great. Are you going to tell what Darby's first wish is? Uh, yeah, we can. We can. Well, that's uh, part of the scene. Oh, yes. So Darby's first wish um, when he captures King Brian is that he will stay with him for two weeks while he plans out and thinks more uh, intently about what his other wishes will be. Because according to Darby, and I believe him, according to Darby, he has and, and this becomes important for for later in the film, but we'll save that for then. He first encountered King Brian and wished three wishes, but then King Brian offered generosity to give him more wishes. And then upon wishing his fourth wish, Darby erased the other three. By wishing his fourth wish, he loses them all. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, that becomes important later. So Darby wants to be more calculated this time, which is why he's captured King Brian. And his first wish is, you will stay with me for these two weeks while I think out what, it, what are my next two wishes going to be mm -hmm. i'm going to take my time with this uh which yeah. i think is really is really delightful and and you know propels the the rest of the movie into where it goes which i think is interesting yeah because it's been the timeline has been set uh by lord fitzpatrick he says you have two weeks right. to get out of to move into your new home and right. 
you know, train Michael in what his duties are going to be. As I mean, this all happened in one day. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All that we just talked about is one day. That's right. Yeah. It's just the first day. That's I love right. what King Brian says at the end of these is never in a thousand years has anyone taken such advantage of me. And <laughs> never in 5,000 years have I met such an adversary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> He's impressed. He's he very impressed. He's met his match. Yep. I yeah. love it. All right. Well, uh, mom, I believe, yeah, you're the next one. My second favorite scene is really towards the end it's the end of the two weeks okay mm-hmm. during the two weeks darby has been kind of tricked into making the second wish mm-hmm. which was that michael could see him i didn't steal your yeah. thunder did i did i steal your thunder no okay no. yeah i didn't think that was anybody he he accidentally wished that michael could see king brian Mm-hmm. So that was the second wish. So now it's the end of the two weeks and we don't really know what's gone on during the two weeks. That's irrelevant, but it's time for him to make his third wish. He said he would make his, well, maybe it hadn't even been two weeks. He said he would make his third wish if Katie f- fell in love with Michael mm-hmm. and it's apparent she is. Well, well, now will you make your third wish? I, I really don't know if it's been two weeks. So he's going to go to the pub and make the third wish. And he's mm-hmm. got King Brian in the sack. In the meantime, a postcard has come from Lord Fitzpatrick. So I guess it has been two weeks that yeah. he's coming to visit. And it's mm-hmm. very apparent on the postcard, which is for everybody to read, that Michael is now in charge of the gatehouse he is the caretaker and katie is livid and she's packing up the stuff and in the and and um darby is headed down to the pub with king brian in the bag and most of the people in the town believe it's really king brian in the bag okay Mm -hmm. not pony and his mother but most of the people and they've all gathered in the pub to hear the third wish but katie's not there she will be. So um, somebody, the, the point about this I wanted to make was somebody said, are you going to wish for the gold? He said, no, nope. nine times out of 10, it leads to unhappiness. Mm-hmm. Well, are you going to wish for happiness? No, human beings need the bitter with the sweet. Mm-hmm. And somebody else in the crowd says, you need to wish for a big house and he says why he says i won't have servants to take care of it i'm too poor to take have the money to take care of it and then they start saying he's got a head up on his shoulders in the meantime katie has found out about michael and she's so upset that she goes to the pub and she accidentally knocks over the bag and king brian escapes but i just love that scene especially because Darby is so wise, knowing that mm-hmm. he's not going to wish for gold and he's not going to wish for happiness. He's not going to wish for a big house. Those are yeah. two, they're fleeting. They're fleeting. Yeah. Well, and I think you you illustrate a really good point there in that in this film, Darby is a very kind of hear me this is an endearment not a criticism he's a very kind of foolish character he's he's seen you know uh he's flighty he doesn't take his responsibilities to the with a profound diligence or anything so to your point 
when he communicates what he knows about life in that scene, in those very brief little observations about money and happiness and all these different things, he illustrates that while on the surface he may look like a chuckly old fool, he he has a depth to him and an mm-hmm. understanding of exactly what really matters, uh, which again <laughs> is is part of why he's uh, you know in this spirit he understands more than most of these other townspeople. And I think it's interesting that, yes, we do have Pony, we do have Sheila, but most of the townspeople do revere him. They do, you mm-hmm. know, they, they sit at his, they him. sit, yeah, they sit at his stories uh, with, with a certain degree of awe, which I think is really, is really quite delightful um, that they just, they hang on his every word whenever they're like, yeah. oh man, what's, what did the little people do next and everything? It's, it's <laughs> delightful. Um, yeah. Yeah. I love that scene. It's a movie that's like, it seems like a slight entertainment, you know? Mm -hmm. It's very light. It seems very fluffy, but there is a soul to it that I love. And that Mm -hmm. it really makes you think about like, if you had three wishes, what would be the best things to wish for? Yeah. Because, you know, everybody would say like, oh, money or whatever. But no, when you have just these brief opportunities to get, what you really want, what are you going to choose? Yeah. And yeah. it's something that, you know, obviously nobody's, nobody's going to find a leprechaun and get three wishes, <laughs> but those wishes paint a picture of what you are, who you are as a person, you know, what you value. So yeah, I, it's very strong bit of characterization for Darby that he's yeah. put so much thought into this. Absolutely. All right. Um, let's see. Oh, I guess I'm next. So to piggyback on that scene, and this is not a necessarily related scene, but it is another picture of who Darby is as a person. And I'm going to rewind the DVD a little bit to get into this. So when we first meet Darby at the beginning of the movie, the first time uh, he's in the pub, he's telling a story about the first time he caught King Brian and how King Brian tricked him into losing all his wishes and everything. And um, the priest, Father, what was his name? I can't remember. Father Murphy? Father, yeah, that's yeah, awesome. Father Murphy, like a, okay. like a dog. He's kind of snuck into the pub and he's sitting off to the side and just listening to Darby's story. And he's very amused by it and everything. Uh, but he's come into the pub because their church is getting a bell. Uh, a ne- nearby parish they got a new bell so they've donated the old bell to uh the church in uh Rath Cullen. uh and it's it's very exciting because they've never had a bell before <laughs> they've had a bell tower but it's been empty for years and uh he just needs somebody that has a horse and cart to go and collect the bell and of course he wants pony because pony drives the mail cart you know it's a strong guy so he's coming really to see if he can get Pony to go for the bell. Of course, Pony being kind of a selfish, you know, jerk. <laughs> I was yes. trying to think of like, what's the, what's the nicest way of putting this? Anyway, <laughs> he wants to know how much will the person be paid to go and collect the bell? And the father is like, ah, we could probably scratch together two pounds. And he's like, well, I would say it's worth about two pounds, 10. Father Murphy's like, well, yeah, it's worth three pounds, but we don't have that much money here. Yeah. But Pony 
he's not going to budge on this. Two pounds 10 is his fee. And Darby, I love that. I get a little emotional just talking about this. He just stands up and he says, I'll do it, Father. I'll do it for nothing. Yeah. And Father Murphy then gives him, in Darby's mind, the greatest reward. He says, no, for your service, you will have the music of the bell. Yeah. Every time the bell rings, it will be because you did this kindness. Mm -hmm. And so later in the movie, you have a scene where um, King Brian is trying to get Darby to wish his third wish. And it's Sunday morning and the bell is ringing and Darby's just like, I'm not going to make my third wish on Sunday. Today, I'm just going to listen to the bell. Mm -hmm. It's so good. (laughs) It's beautiful. It's so sweet. I love it. Yeah. yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. I love I love the simplicity of the sentiment. Yes, it does paint, uh, rightfully so, it does paint Pony as this just greedy opportunist. Mm-hmm. But the beauty of that scene is in the father's, it's not, it's not a platitude. It's a genuine sentiment of, mm-hmm. yes, you will have the ringing of the bells. You and your family forever will have yeah, the ringing. Yeah, forever. Bells. It's and, always going to belong to you, yeah. It's it's so beautiful. It's really really mm-hmm. beautiful. Um, yeah, it's it's such a sweet scene. It's yeah, I agree. Yeah, the reward for getting the bell, the two pounds ten, mm. is nothing. Right. Yeah. Compared right. to the sweetness of remembering going to get the bell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hearing yeah. that music that's been is ringing in your in your memory and your honor forever. So it's mm-hmm. really sweet. Precious. Yeah. It's wonderful and is something that though ostensibly the father is saying you can you will have the ringing of the bells for yourself. We all know that it's for the community like Mm -hmm. that, that, that it is not his alone. It is his to share, uh, which doesn't even need to be spoken. But that is a, a, an important sort of thematic undertone to it that it's like, yeah, you, you what you're really getting is you're getting this for yourself, but you are sharing it with everybody every, mm-hmm. like you know forever they will have that and i just again it's 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 effortlessly lovely it's really mm-hmm. wonderful it is all right so i guess read it's like we done everything yeah i yeah. think uh, reed, so I think, reed has another scene so reed has one more scene nightmare. which will get us into the uh and this is the scene. This is this is the scene that made me want to bring Reed onto this show. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was I was appreciative again. Uh, said it a couple of times already. I didn't remember this film, and mm-hmm. uh, going back to something that you noted earlier, Jackson, the the effects on this because they are camera trickery, movie magic at its zenith. Mm-hmm. Uh, they hold up remarkably well simple camera tricks like you mentioned like force perspective uh where it appears that they're in the same space together but it it looks pretty seamless um Mm -hmm. they don't even have a lot of composite shots in this which i found impressive i thought they would be doing a lot of composites but they don't have a lot of composite shots um composite shots have those grainy outlines where you can in in high def you can see oh i see now the outline of the person but forced perspective because they are both really in the shot the camera doesn't know any better it's really uh ingenious and where i'm going with that is i was impressed though it is simplistic and though it is dated at how genuinely creepy 
the Banshee is when she arrives. Yes. Um, <laughs> she, she is clearly a matte painting. Uh, she is a composite shot, uh, a, a fluid sort of uh, overlay to the background scene that they've shot. And then they would have filmed the Banshee elsewhere and, com- and composited the two scenes together for one continuous uh, visual representation. But mm-hmm. this eerie sort of green yellowish glow that she has and to to set up the scene for uh viewers who may not have seen the film um katie after getting angry at the revelation that her father's job is over and that she's been tricked uh storms off with the horse and when she storms off the horse michael even tries to tell her like you'll you'll you're gonna get hurt doing this and mm-hmm. she storms off with the, her- the horse. Sure enough, she gets thrown and she falls on this little uh, cliffside. Uh, there's a there's a hill that has uh, a rock formation up near the top. She falls at sort of uh, down the slope of this little hillside. And she is ostensibly on the verge of death. And mm-hmm. the reason we know she's on the verge of death is because this banshee is coming to claim her, uh, coming to mm-hmm. claim her spirit. This is rooted in ancient irish folklore but the banshee is coming to take her and darby has to like fight back the banshee both in the mm-hmm. out uh in the outskirts of this hill and later when the banshee comes directly to his home to try to claim her but the imagery of the banshee again I'm not going to hold it up as you know nightmarish by today's standards but it is mm-hmm. remarkably effective for that yeah. scene it creates a real undercurrent of of menace there's a definite immediate threat to what everything that darby loves and i loved i appreciated with as light and frothy as the film is for about an hour and 15 minutes that mm-hmm. that pivot once katie gets hurt and the banshee comes it turns real grim very very quickly and the stakes go go very very high i was appreciative to be completely candid i did not remember anything remotely unnerving or scary in this film so when that (laughs) happened you know me being the horror fan that i am boy like every part of me just went electric i was like what What like what movie are we in right now right Um, and it, it dovetails dovetails into uh, you know some some things towards the end that I'm sure we'll talk about. But uh, yeah, it was it was a really really again I'm impressed with how effective the scene still is today, uh, mm-hmm. despite its dated aesthetic. Um, but it really it really works. The look of that banshee as she is allowing her cloak to flow in the wind. It almost reminded me a little bit mm-hmm. of. Uh, from like a Christmas Carol, the ghost of Christmas future is that, that, sure. that kind of imagery, this big cloaked figure with long sort of spindly hands and long fingernails. Yeah. Uh, you don't get a great image of her face until this one shot where she's like right outside the door. Uh, but it's very Which is, unnerving. When I was a kid, that shot where he opens the door and the banshee just comes straight for the door. It was great. the scariest thing I had ever seen when I oh, was a kid. Great. It's so great. It's so great. Are and it even basement by yourself. <laughs> Eric. Listen, I'm a 42 year old man. It gave me a jolt, you know, like it's, it, yeah. it, I was just like, Oh, okay. All right. And like, it's, it's great. It's really, really cool. So yeah. Um, that was one of my, that was one of my favorites, not merely because it takes things to, to a dark place, but also rooted in what it forces Darby to now consider 
and what mm-hmm. Darby chooses with really not a moment's hesitation, which again just fuels the scene with some more power um, because of that. But yes, the banshee scene is uh, is my other favorite one, and I appreciate it. <laughs> appreciate you letting yeah. me have it. <laughs> Mom, do you have anything to add? No, I covered that very well. <laughs> well, I guess is there I a fan he. <laughs> That's a great question. That's a that's a great question. <laughs> you know, it's twenty twenty three. There ought to be. It's not just the visual of the banshee, but the sound design surrounding the banshee. Oh yeah, the banshee's was... whale is is nightmare fuel. <laughs> yes, it really is. It and really. And that he knows, and it's a kids yeah. movie, right? Well, oh yeah, kids movies. They used to do put scary stuff in kids movies. They don't really do it anymore, and it kind of makes Sleeping Beauty. Like, Sleeping Beauty was terrifying. Oh, especially but that came the, out the same year as this. Oh, did yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it was, They're both I, I used yeah. to not want y'all, my kids, to watch <laughs> Sleeping Beauty. I thought it was too scary. Well, yeah. When Sleeping Beauty I mean, is gorgeous. I know we're not. Yes, it's a beautiful movie. I know we're not talking about Sleeping Beauty, but yeah, okay. like when when Maleficent turns into the dragon and she's like, "At all the powers of hell," I'm like, "What in the world?" <laughs> like, and and like, uh, but but a lot of right Disney. Oh, go ahead. Go oh, ahead. I was just—I was just going to say—a lot of Disney's early stuff has stuff like you know the the scene in Pinocchio yeah, where they Fantasia. all turn into donkeys. Yeah, Fantasia has Night on Bald Mountain, which is 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 mm-hmm. directly a horror thing. That the 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 being was photographed. Uh, that was Bella Lugosi doing the motions for Night on Bald Mountain I in Fantasia. Did not know that. That's, oh yeah. Oh huh. yeah. I guess it's a good point to make that evil is terrifying. So, and <laughs> mm-hmm. of course, uh, death is not terrifying, but. A terrible death is terrifying, but yes, Banshee. Yeah. Anyway, that's another story. Mm-hmm. I, one little detail a the, for another time. Yeah, one little detail of the scene that I really like is uh, Darby mentions when he hears the Banshee's wail. He mentions it's the same sound he heard the night Katie's mother died. Yeah. Oh yes. Oh yeah. 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 So he he knows exactly what he's dealing with yeah. in this moment. Yeah. Which gets us into the ending of the movie, which we always like to talk about. Um, Mom, do you want to sort of go over what happens at the end? Which part? I mean, I guess. I mean, directly after the Banshee. Yes. The Banshee comes and Darby goes into action. He knows exactly what he must do. So he starts yelling for King Brian. Mm -hmm. And he says, He's yelling and King Brian shows up right away because, you know, he had run away, but he Mm -hmm. knows he has to come back for the third wish. I know what my third wish is. I want the Banshee to take me. Mm. I want to Mm. give my life for Katie. So Katie can live because Katie's young and I'm not. I'm old. So Mm -hmm. Brian crawls in the death carriage with him. Yeah, the, we didn't talk about the death coach, but that's pretty creepy too. The death coach <laughs> comes and, and it, the door opens and it summons Darby in and he goes yeah. in. Yeah, the, the headless then, coachman. The yeah. headless coachman. I was like, man, I was like, wow. <laughs> Brian gets in the coach with him to accompany him to death. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Except Brian has other plans. Yeah. So awesome. Brian gets him to wish the fourth wish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wish tells, I wish you could go with me. 
I mean, I wish yeah. I could go with you, Brian says. Mm-hmm. I yeah. wish you could too. Is that your fourth wish? <laughs> oh, man. And he so just great. pushes him out. Yeah. They're all gone, except Katie doesn't die. Right. 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 That doesn't, well, that doesn't follow, but that's okay. It's <laughs> well, and what I, what I loved about that is, to, to your point, I loved that, you know, the, the events of the film of those two weeks are not dependent upon King Brian's having been captured. But what's great about it is that it's almost as if, you know, King Brian is just sort of repositioning things, even that he didn't directly have anything to do with, you know, the, the, the leprechauns didn't have anything to do with Katie falling. They didn't have anything to do with her, mm-hmm. you know, coming to the brink of death. That's why, you know, earlier we had talked about the, you know, Brian's benevolence at this point. I think it's it's pretty apparent in the text of the film that he's he's giving Darby more than merely erasing the because because Darby doesn't wish for very much. Darby wished for Brian to stay with him, for Michael, Michael to see him, and then to to go on to death in Katie's place. So really, the mm-hmm. only thing he eradicates is the going to death part. But to your to your point, Pat, like, well, then why didn't Katie die? But I think it has to do with King Brian. King Brian is basically like, you know what? We're just going to these last two weeks didn't happen. And you're just going to put this all right, except for the the bell is still there and everything. But the, the bad stuff, as uh, as they say in Lord of the Rings, the sad things become untrue, you know, that that mm-hmm. all the all the bad things have have uh, now been reversed. And I I find that absolutely delightful. I just love the moment Brian shows up in that carriage at the end. I didn't even know mm-hmm. what was about to happen I because I couldn't, again, remember the story. I didn't know what was about to happen, but the moment Brian was there, I was like, he's going to make this right. Like, I don't know what he's about to do, but Brian's going to make this right. And I thought it was a really great bit of synchronicity that the way he made it right was by getting him to wish his fourth wish and then cackle that endearing little laughter <laughs> that they had shared in the barn and so many other scenes. It was just, yeah, it was great. It was really it great. Was, it really was great. Yeah. It's that's I, the first ending. That's only the first ending of the movie. Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah, there's Another a ending. Denouement that I don't think is very strong, but uh, <laughs> we can talk about it a little bit if you want. <laughs> I think I think it gives Sean Connery something to do. Something to do. <laughs> <laughs> it uh, he has to have a position somewhere, and and Pony has to have his comeuppance. I mean, right. Pony is is a Shoot. certified jerk, but and he's yeah. leaving town. Yeah. <laughs> Oh he's yeah, leaving town. He's got another job. Um, yeah. What I found so endearing about the very last scene is that the thing that really gave Darby happiness was to see his daughter settled and happy. Mm-hmm. And oh, yeah. It, yeah. the ending is just about being a parent. You know, mm-hmm. he didn't need money. He didn't, he wanted a big potato crop the first time, but he didn't <laughs> yeah. need a big house. He didn't need money and, and happiness is what he got. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. What he got by seeing his daughter happy. And yeah. now he gets to just go to the pub and tell stories about King Brian. Right. <laughs> he is going to live. Now he has the story to tell. It, well, yeah. absolutely. And came back. <laughs> and 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 that's what's so great is that in that final scene before the, you know, the duke out between uh Pony and Michael is yeah, like again, 
these townspeople revere him. And so when he tells them a story like, oh, yeah, I think I'm the only one to get in the death coach and then come out of it again. Uh, mm -hmm. They're just like, oh, man, only Darby <laughs> O'Gill, <laughs> you, you know, only him. But um, I do want to. Yes. And you uh, as well, Pat, about like Albert Sharp's face when he is happy. It is so it's beaming. What like mm -hmm. I love even an earlier scene in the film when uh, he thinks Katie's going to the dance and then he goes with Michael like and his yeah. you know, like the big just the big bright smile on his face. I mean, he's just when he is happy and and to your point, Michael and Katie sitting in the back singing Irish ditties and he yeah. just keeps looking back at them. He is going to live. The, the film leaves you with the undeniable impression that this man, Darby O'Gill, is going to live the fullest, happiest retirement that you could possibly have imagined, filling his mm -hmm. days with the the love of his neighbors and community, the ringing of the bells uh, at the church, and stories and maybe even further interactions with this fantastical group of little people uh, mm -hmm. to whom, you know, who kind of de facto adopted him and then set him back free. It's, it's beautiful. It's lovely. It's yeah. just, it's really wonderful. Well, I reckon that gets us into our next segment, which we don't have to spend too much time on, but we like to have it just as kind of a, a way of wrapping it up. Um, it's called, uh, what is the segment called? Why did lessons I forget? Learned. <laughs> yes, it's called <laughs> lessons learned. We don't record very regularly, so <laughs> sometimes I forget things. Oh, it's been a while. We haven't done this since August, so. Yeah. Oh, that has been a while. Yeah, we've, so. we've missed a little bit. But yeah, so I just want to open up the floor uh, to see if there's anything else that we can take from this movie uh, and apply to our own lives or just something that makes us think about, something that makes us feel. Well, Darby definitely makes you feel he is not materialistic okay no and so it makes you feel even better about what's important in life mm -hmm. the intangible things and yeah. that's a sweet a sweet lesson in mm -hmm. a movie all movies don't have that mm -hmm. yeah i mean there's a lot of movies that are you know, very, very dark and very nihilistic. And I enjoy those movies too. <laughs> you know, I've been on, on Reed's show a number of times talking about stuff like that. <laughs> I built a whole show around it. This is, this is a little bit of a scary movie in some places. Mm -hmm. It's a good lesson. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Tangible things are what matters. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I think what, what I would contribute to the lessons learned segment is uh, just a, a re- enforcement of the power of wonder and the power of awe because mm -hmm. the little people are ostensibly a fantasy and what i love we, we haven't touched on this except kind of driving by it a little bit part of why pony is a good villain is because everything darby experiences is something that has a rational natural explanation for it that you could just be like you mm -hmm. didn't see any little people you you didn't come back from an opened mountain with you know jewels having fallen out of your pocket of course they fell out of your pocket you know everything can be whisked away but the the power of awe and wonder to captivate our imaginations to fuel mm -hmm. our benevolence towards one another I, we didn't reference it in a favorite scene but i love 
when they give King Brian, he's in the pub and they give King Brian a drink. No. And, and then yeah. and then when the drink comes back up, gosh, one of my favorite parts about it is when the drink comes back up, the bartender gives it a place, a hallowed place on the mantle. <laughs> yeah. And she says, if anybody doubts it, there's the same glass. <laughs> yeah. like, and it's just, it's, it's, it's so heartening to me to see how a community is largely fueled by awe and wonder. And mm -hmm. I feel not the first time I've said it in different conversations I've had, I feel that that is something we are swiftly losing. It is slipping between our fingers in our modern culture is just the ability to stand in awe and wonder of a thing. Like mm -hmm. are little people real? Does it matter? And I say that with a full <laughs> heart. Does it matter if they're if they're truly real or not? Um, and some people would say, like, well, yeah, of course it matters. And I'm like, okay, pony, get out of the bar. Like, <laughs> like, you know, just yeah, you know, step aside for a minute. Because I think the the capacity for the people to come together and share in imaginative wonder, whether they believe Darby's stories are true or not, the film certainly leaves you the impression they believe it's true. And not for nothing, the film has a position i believe that the stories are true the film shows us too much and uh pat you referenced walt disney's opening paragraph there uh leaving us with the impression that like yeah everything darby experiences he truly experiences um mm -hmm. but i i just feel like it's uh it's such a reminder to me i try my best uh just in the day-to-day -to, -day to to never let myself lose the awe and wonder of what is around us and a film like this mm -hmm. has a very nice uh injection of reminder of that that i i find very like i said heartening is the word that it brings to my mind yeah well the word i like to use and i tell people this is like i really do believe in magic in mm -hmm. a sense mm -hmm. not in the sense of like casting spells and potions and you know uh <laughs> you know supernatural but i think that when you the way you talk about awe and wonder that's sort of how i see magic there is yeah. magic in the ringing of a church bell there mm. is magic in going to the pub and telling stories to your friends yeah uh it's just everyday stuff yeah that gets you to experience the world in a more full way yeah um, yeah Absolutely. i think that is i think that is the closest we come to experiencing real magic in our very non-magical world yeah. um go ahead mom <laughs> one time hallmark made a movie and i know you don't like hallmark movies but this was actually a really good one it was a hallmark hall of fame movie it was called the magic of ordinary days mm, i love that title that's a great yeah. title the movie was a very good movie you should watch it yeah, it's well, really it's in it. very good. It's not a <laughs> typical Hallmark movie, not okay. typical at all. <laughs> Listen, but I, have... I love the title of the movie, The Magic of Ordinary Days. It takes place during World War II. Okay. And, and it takes place in Colorado on a beet farm. But anyway, it, um, life is not simple anymore. Yeah. You don't have mm -hmm. a simple life. And and in that particular movie, it's an agrarian situation, but um, yeah, I, like both of you said, there's magic in ordinary. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think 
this might be a bit pretentious of me to say, but I think the fact that we can have natural explanations for things in my mind, in my heart, and and I think you would both agree with this, makes them no less magical. So, right. so for right. instance, the fact that a small seed can become this mighty tree that then mm-hmm. converts elements from the air into breathable oxygen, like somebody can say like, well, yeah, that's, that's natural. We understand. Okay. Just because you know how it works, does it, that, can you believe, <laughs> pause for a second? That's magic, my friend. Like, <laughs> a, you know, like it's, it's transformation. It is, you know, the, you, you think about things that are completely natural like birth or, or even like death and things like that. And that's like, yeah, that there is something that when you look at it, yes, we know how it works, but knowing how it works makes it no, for me, makes it no less magical. You mean the sun is hung up in the sky on nothing and all these planets revolve around it. That is magic. That's magical. Yeah. You know? We have to put it, put it in a much more yeah. mundane way. It reminds me of a Mitch Hedberg joke where he's like, Uh-oh. how does the sesame seed stick to the bun? That's magical. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, to Pat, you just, you know, and, and, and I am a, you know, I am a believer. So, so yes, it's like, I look not too long ago, my family, actually, as we're recording this, it was just this past weekend, but my family took a trip to the Grand Canyon and um, you see pictures yeah. of the Grand Canyon and it's, it's majestic and it's beautiful in the picture. There is nothing like standing on that rim and looking mm-hmm. out into that. And you talk, you know, talk about awe, talk about wonder, talk about magic. And, you know, I'm a believer. It's like, you know, I, I was talking to my son. I was like, everything you see right here, is something God made. And the, you know, these rails, like we put this here that we put this here. So we don't fall. <laughs> That's thank you for ingenuity and, and cleverness. Um, but you look out here and, and the time it took and how it is carved into this vast expanse. It is, it's something again, I, I hold no, uh, I put no asterisk on it when I say this is magic, you know? Yes. We know how mm-hmm. it happened. Uh, you know, as, as believers, I, I'll say like, yes, I, I, I believe that God did this thing. And then I will look at it from a scientific perspective and look, oh my Lord, all the years this took and erosion and the process and everything. But then just to take a step back and go, wow, magic, magic. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's, it's beautiful. And I think, you know, fi- maybe my final note on, on Darby O'Gill is just that, yeah, that uh, a film like this, just reinforces so much of of the power mm-hmm. of magical thinking and magical imagination the power to enlighten your perspective to center yourself around things that matter versus wasting all of your time on things that don't the power to bring mm-hmm. a community together to um spark love in the hearts of people which it, which is its own kind of of magic so um mm-hmm. so yeah it's lovely yes all right. Well, I guess that gets us into our final segment, which is the flip scale. <laughs> now, Reed, you're going you're gonna to know exactly how this works. I don't feel like I need to explain it. But for our <laughs> listeners, this is a two-pronged scale on which we measure a movie's quality. We do it uh, on a scale of fun, one to ten, and feelings. Fun being entertainment value, feelings being more about thematic resonance and depth. Uh, and I've noted on here many times before, I completely stole this from the Fear of God podcast uh, <laughs> and just renamed it 
uh, to fit our purposes. So you can't steal it if we give it to you. So I give it to you. <laughs> no, there I took you it. It's like I'm a pirate. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's do the fun scale. Uh, Reed, what would you give this from one to 10? So I do think, I, I think it's a lot of fun, actually. I do want to take note that it is, that it has a dated sensibility. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't find that dated sensibility to be, you know, uh, uncharming or, 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 or non-endearing. Um, but I do think there's a certain buy-in that modern audiences are going to need to, to get on the wavelength of a film like this. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, I'm going to give its fun meter at a six. Okay. Mom. I'm going to give it a seven because I'm old. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, you know, I'm going to give it, a, I'm going to take it a step up and give it an eight. Oh, this, right. is a, this is a very, this is a very rewatchable movie for me. Mm. Not just because I used to watch it all the time when I was a kid, because I'm not a very nostalgic person on the whole, but yeah, just watching it this past week, a few times, it was just like, I just really enjoy watching it. So yeah. yeah eight. Yeah. So Reed, what would you want to give it on the feelings scale? Well, I will say this while I might dip it down a bit, in the overall fun factor, just because of its dated quality, all of the things we've talked about, like it, it is hard to feel bad when this film is over. Like mm-hmm. if, if, if you have sat with the film and sat with the wavelength, the film is so effortlessly endearing and mm-hmm. has such an uplift at the end uh, that I, that I'm going to be a little generous with my feeling score. I love its, its heart and its sensibilities and what it has on its mind. And so I'm actually going to give it a nine for the feelings measurement. Cause I think it's just, okay. I think it's just hard to feel bad when the film is over. It is just so mm-hmm. daggum charming. So nine for me. Yeah. On feelings. Okay. Mom. I give it a seven again. Okay. <laughs> Any particular reason? No, I, I mean, it's, it's really good. I, I feel yeah. good about it, but it's <laughs> not, it's not a, it's not a frozen film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I okay I like Frozen we had a really nice conversation on this show about it I still don't see in it what you see in it maybe it's because oh, I don't have sisters <laughs> I got a sister <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go with Reed on this and I'm gonna give it a nine okay mm. I yeah especially having this conversation about it which has been just as lovely as watching the movie just the the profound depth of Darby's character and his friendship, his adversarial friendship with King Brian. Yeah. And the way that he goes about deciding what his wishes will be. I think it really speaks to something pretty, pretty great. So Maybe I yeah, was generous enough because I love that part of it. I do. <laughs> that was my, of course, that was my favorite scene. One of my favorite scenes about his wishes okay Mm -hmm. that is a solid almost eight okay nice we'll we'll give it an eight we'll just round and give it an eight (laughs) well we hear it 7.5 so it's an eight it's a definite so that means we here at family with family give darby o'gill and the little people an eight out of ten okay so Um, i have to make my little comment okay at the end, in the credits, it should have said no leprechauns were harmed in the filming. Of this. 
<laughs> that is funny. Oh, well, is- I mean, he had that at the beginning. He, if, if it was in the 21st century, it would have had to be at the end. Too. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're right. Yes. Yes. Completely on point. <laughs> so our sort of final question when we do this is uh, what ages would you recommend watching this movie? Mm. Uh, do I go first? No. Yeah, yeah go ahead. Uh, listen, this, this is an all ages film. I do think it is worth noting that certain two and three year olds may find the, the, the final 15 minutes a bit too scary. Uh, certain <laughs> really, you know, two or three year olds, so with that small asterisk, there's absolutely nothing offensive in the film. And even mm-hmm. if younger audiences are not necessarily going to understand the narrative specifically, they'll probably be charmed by the the rhythm of it, the jovial mm-hmm. sort of sort of musicality of it. Oh, the film looks great. I don't think I mentioned that yet, but, oh, but it, it's it looks absolutely terrific. Yeah, yeah, it looks beautiful. And I know they've remastered it and everything like that, but it, but the film looks beautiful. So with the small asterisk that you know, maybe maybe four years and under might find the last fifteen minutes a bit scary. I think this is a, a this is an all ages film, uh, with the exception of those last fifteen minutes for for the skittish younger ones. All right, mom. I agree with him wholeheartedly. Yeah, yeah I mean it's it's a pretty easy <laughs> pretty easy case to make. Yeah, yeah. Except for the, the scary banshee and stuff. Yeah, I used to watch it all the time. So, yeah. and, and as usual in this segment, I don't really have much of an opinion because I don't have kids. So <laughs> I always <laughs> defer to the parents when we when we ask that question. Yeah, I guess that is uh, that is our discussion of Darby O'Gill and the Little People. Um, so you can find this podcast wherever you happen to find it. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. That's the kind of thing that helps little podcasts like ours get heard. Next time... We will be uh, discussing the 2021 film Coda. So get ready for some fishing and some singing and a lot of sign language. I love that film. I love that film so much. We're going to have a guest on for that. That's a beautiful film. Listeners, (laughs) check that film out. It's a wonderful film. So yeah, until next time. Oh, she is my dear, my darling one. Her eyes are sparkling full of fun. No other can match the likes of her. (laughs) Oh, I love it. Good night, y'all. Very good. Good night. Good night.